I say it every week because I don't know, maybe you didn't hear it during the week, and you will hear it when the church comes together. Um, Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, um, wherever it is. Matthew 12, Um, verse 18. I think you have it up on the screen. All right. It says, Behold my servant, this is Matthew quoting Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry aloud. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles, you all, will hope. Okay? Um, Since 20... So, sorry, just real quick. I had speech with you, too. Do you remember what I did? (laughs) I don't remember being there. (laughs) It was something with a basketball. I don't know. <laughs> since uh, since 2020, our church has been working through uh, Matthew's gospel. That's the front one in your New Testament. Uh, and the reason is, is to give us a clear picture of, of Jesus. And Jesus is the king of Israel. The one in whom all the promises of God find their yes in. So you read any promise that God has made in the covenants. Jesus is the guy who says, I'll make sure that gets Done. And then the second reason we've gone through Matthew is so that we have uh, in our hearts and minds a clear response of what to do um, with Jesus. And so far, and I'm assuming we're in 12, I'm assuming this will follow till 28. The response to Jesus is repentance and humility and wholehearted faithfulness until he comes again. So that's what we've been doing. I don't know what you guys have been doing. We're, we've been in Matthew and we ended last week, Matthew chapter 11, uh, with violent men attacking, uh, both the kingdom messengers. So Jesus and John. And their message, um, they're placing heavy burdens on the backs of the people. And Jesus responds to them by saying that uh, he will bring true um, Sabbath and, and, and rest to the people. Jesus is the guy who will cause everyone who trusts in him to go. Okay, like that's one of the jobs of um, God is to make you go. Okay, and so that was uh, last week. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So Matthew 12 flows right out of this. Jesus has declared, I'm the bringer of true Sabbath and rest. And then Matthew 12, we get a story about the Sabbath, the controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so just so everyone's on the same page or as close as we can get, kind of how this passage works. We've got a controversy about the Sabbath. Is this lawful to do? We have Jesus right interpretation um, of the law and the prophets concerning the Sabbath. We have attempted violence at Jesus again. And then Matthew ends this section with a quotation from Isaiah explaining why Jesus responds the way that he does to the Pharisees in this instance. Okay, so if we get that, we'll be good and going fried chicken. Good? 
Okay. All right. Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, after 11, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, why are they in the field? I don't know. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, what your disciples are doing is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So we've already, right here, just got a controversy. And what does Jesus do? Okay. Does Jesus tell the Pharisees, well, that Sabbath stuff is the old covenant and I'm ushering in the new covenant. So your old carnal Jewish laws don't matter anymore. Does Jesus say that? No, he does not. Instead, Jesus doubles down on those old Jewish laws and appeals to the scripture. Jesus appeals to the law and the prophets to deal with these guys. Verse three, he said to them, have you not read? Which is the ultimate insult to a Pharisee, right? Like... Have you, you know, have you not read in the prophets what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, the tabernacle, and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Did you guys miss that part, right? Have you not read in the law on how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, yet they are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means... Then he quotes Hosea and says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. My disciples eating grain on the Sabbath for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, so what is Jesus doing here? Why is he responding to these guys this way? Well, a couple things he's not doing. He's not dismissing the Sabbath. Okay, don't read Matthew 12 and say, see, Jesus is not a Jew. No, he is. He's not profaning. The Sabbath. He's not treating it as it not be should not be treated. Jesus is simply as the Lord of the Sabbath, okay, as the one in charge of the thing, making clear the spirit of the Sabbath, the purpose of the law that God has given. Because why does God give Sabbath? For rest. It's a good thing. Here's a gift. There's no Jewish person who's like, darn it, it's Shabbat. They're like, yes, it's Shabbat. Bring out the food. We don't have to do the dishes. This is good. Okay. This is the point. And so this is a big conversation in the first century. Okay. There's this uh, discussion, this controversy over how do we interpret and apply uh, the laws about the Sabbath. Right. There's lots of different. The the joke is that if there are uh, two Jews, there's three opinions. Right. This is the first century. I mean, in modern day, too, but first century, like the Pharisees are interpreting it one way. The Sadducees, another, the Essenes, uh, another. And here Jesus just puts forth his own um, interpretation and the interpretation that Jesus gives of the Sabbath places human life and human need in priority over Sabbath law. All right. This is what he's doing. Mercy is more important than the act of of sacrifice okay so jesus interpretation is you know simply flows out of what he says at the end of matthew 11 his yoke of the law his, his burden is placed on people for people not on people to hinder them on people to give them rest to make them grow and, and flourish mark's version of this story ends with jesus saying you're probably familiar with it the sabbath was not made for man but i mean the sabbath was made for man but man, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. Like, that's that's the point. That's all that he's saying. Jesus is not undoing um, or, or breaking the law, right? I mean, I've, I've heard Jesus broke the law. It's like, oh, God, no, he didn't. 
Jesus is not breaking the law here. He is through and through a, a Torah observant Jew. Okay, Jesus is the most Jewish guy you know. All right. <laughs> He's just giving a faithful interpretation of the law. And he does this by appealing to the scriptures to get, again, to the heart of the law, to the spirit of it, just like he does in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, we, you know, we went through, like you guys know the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are, all, all that stuff. And then he starts to interpret the law and he says, the law says don't murder. Right, but the spirit of it is don't get angry so you don't murder. He's just interpreting, right? The, the law says don't commit adultery. Jesus says, yeah, don't lust. That leads to adultery, the whole bit. Matthew five seventeen. he says, don't think that I'm here to do away with the Torah and the prophets. I have come not to do away with them, but to make them fully known, to, to carry them out. And so he's doing the same thing here. And then because he's God and can give awesome object lessons, right? Jesus doesn't need like a drama team to act things out. He can just do stuff to give an object lesson and make the point. Verse 10, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than the sheep? So it is lawful. It's in accordance with the law. It's not breaking or profaning the law. It's keeping the law to do good on the Sabbath. All right. Like it's just it's just the spirit of the thing. So it is lawful to choose mercy over sacrifice if the two conflict. They don't always conflict. But in the event they do, Jesus says, get your sheep out. Okay, take take care of the of the person or the thing. So question is, what matters to God? What is the spirit of the Sabbath? What's the purpose of the Sabbath? And Jesus answer is it is for life. It is for good. And then he proves it and says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy, just like the other. Okay. So it's kind of this um, boss move here just to prove that I am interpreting the law correctly. Watch this. Okay. You know what I mean? Kind of like Elijah at Mount Carmel. Like, okay, if your God is the God, well, light this thing on fire. If my God is the God, this one, you know, and then he does it. And so who's the real God in that scenario? Elijah's God. Okay. <laughs> Maybe next Sunday go through Elijah. All right. Yeah. So Jesus says, I'm the guy just to prove that God honors and God affirms how I'm interpreting the law and the prophets. Watch this. And just to prove that I'm God, uh, Reese, you preached this passage. Not only take up your mat and walk, also your sins are forgiven. Right? It's the same kind of deal. And then he rebukes the Pharisees for not understanding. Okay. Rebukes them for their hardness of heart. If you had known what Hosea said, I, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. You wouldn't have done it. If you'd known, guys, the heart of the law, that the purpose of sacrifice, that it's about loving and serving people with a right heart before God, you wouldn't have condemned my disciples for eating grain. You wouldn't have condemned David for, you know, getting bread he's probably not supposed to get. You wouldn't condemn the priest for working on the Sabbath. And you wouldn't condemn the guy who rescues his goat. All right. Where's Marilyn? Marilyn, am I talking too fast? Pretty fast. Okay. I just know there's chicken and, you know, I don't want to stand between a Baptist and a potluck. All right. So this, this whole interaction uh, infuriates the Pharisees. Okay. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. But the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him. This is how, how to destroy him, which is like 
Whoa, <laughs> big, big deal. And, and now we note Jesus' reaction and really what I think the Lord once, once highlighted today. Okay, I didn't want to talk to you about Sabbath today. I want to talk to you about, about this. Jesus, aware of this, that they want to kill him over an interpretation of Scripture. What is wrong with you? Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Okay? You guys read, especially in Mark's gospel, if you sit down and read through Mark, Mark, Jesus is always like, shut it up. Right? And then, do, are people obedient to Jesus? No. I don't know if we're supposed to read those stories as like, good job, you guys, telling everyone about Jesus, or bad job for disobeying Jesus. I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. He's being quiet. If if Jesus is greater than the temple, verse 6, if he is the son of man and the Lord of the Sabbath, verse 8, why is he hiding stuff? Okay, why? Why is he being quiet? Why isn't he dealing with the Pharisees and their wickedness? They're, They're putting heavy burdens onto people. Okay, which is a serious thing in the sight of God. Okay, for for especially for religious leadership to put burdens and weight on people in the name of God, guys, that gets you a lake of fire at the day of the Lord. Like that's a very big thing to the Lord. They're putting heavy burdens on people. They're misinterpreting the law in some instances for their own advantage. They're making the temple. Jesus says, "This is my Father's house, a den of robbers and thieves," and they are attempting to do more violence to Jesus. Okay. So at this group of people, at this time, we would put them under the category of bad people, okay? Bad, violent dudes. And so if you're the son of man, if you're the Lord of the Sabbath and Lord of the temple, and if you're the one who Matthew 11, the father has given all authority to, you're reading this and you're going, what gives, Jesus? Why aren't you dealing with these guys? Why is John the Baptist in in prison? Why aren't you doing the Messiah bit? Okay? If you're the guy, as you say you are, and keep saying you are, and keep saying you are, and keep demonstrating by healing and teaching and doing all the stuff, why aren't you doing it now? Why aren't you doing the Messiah bit, setting up your kingdom, casting the wicked into a lake of fire, and rewarding the righteous? Why aren't you doing it? Like, like what's wrong with you? Okay? And, and bigger picture, if you zoom out of just this interaction with the Pharisees, why isn't Jesus dealing with Rome? Or any of the other wicked kings and nations of the earth. If if you are the Messiah, why are you allowing evil to go on and on and on and on and on and on? We have stuff we are furious about right now. You know what? Next year we'll be furious still. About different things. But we're going to be furious. Like, why, why does this stuff go on? Why are the most innocent among us slaughtered? Whether in a classroom or a womb, like why, if you're the guy, why is this going on? And this is what every human being on the earth, if they've taken two seconds to think critically about anything, is churning through and, and dealing with. Everyone on earth who's honest is dealing with the knowledge that God is good and God is just and God is powerful, yet wickedness continues, right? This is the problem of evil. Everyone deals with this, every human being. And I think that Matthew answers that question here in a small way concerning this event with the Pharisees, but also in a larger way for the whole of human history. Okay? And I almost, I almost didn't um, preach this passage this week. Okay? I was like, okay, we got to 
combine service, you know, maybe don't do Matthew 12 and, and the Sabbath and, and the seemingly out of place Isaiah quotation. Maybe do something else this week, you know, like a rah-rah, whatever. I don't know. I don't have very many rah-rah sermons, so it would be hard to... <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I was like, oh man, this, we should move this to a different week so we could be in a better um, text. But the more I, I looked at this, especially what we're about to see from Isaiah, the more I thought, man, Matthew 12 is perfect for, for us. This is what we need. I think Matthew 12 is the word of the Lord to his people um, today. Okay, so God, give us ears to hear. Jesus withdraws. He goes away. He's quiet. He doesn't deal with the bad guys here who are conspiring to destroy him. Why? Verse 17 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant. Whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. We've already seen this happen in in Matthew already. Before Jesus does any public ministry, John baptizes him, right? The spirit descends on him like a dove. And the father gets his megaphone from the heavens and said, this is my beloved son. Who I am well pleased. And everyone's like, whoa, this, this, this is the guy. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. Now, why does God anoint his chosen servant and his chosen son with the spirit? Like, what, what's the point? It's not just because it sounds cool, though Isaiah 42 sounds cool, right? That's not why it does it to... to God anoints his chosen, his, his Messiah, right, from Genesis 3 to the end. God anoints his chosen son and servant with the Spirit. Why? To proclaim justice to the nations, to all the Gentiles. So this is his job, is what Isaiah is saying. My beloved son, my beloved servant, my spirit anointed one, his job is to declare justice, to make wrong things right for all the nations. Okay, The promised seed from Eve to Abraham to David is supposed to do this. Jesus is supposed to proclaim justice to the nations and fix what man's rebellion has broke. And when this happens, you read through the rest of the prophets, it's, it's a big deal. It's the biggest deal. The prophets call this event when he proclaims justice to the nations fully and finally and forever all the way through the prophetic scriptures. The day of the Lord. Capital D. Big D. Day of the Lord. And so you'd expect that's where Isaiah would go next. Right. You're doing the the anointed servant bit. The uh, the beloved son bit. He will proclaim justice to the nations bit. If you're a you know, biblically literate Jew, you're hearing Matthew uh, say these things. And you're like, oh, the day of the Lord's next. Here it comes, Isaiah. Hit him with the 10,000 legions of angels and flaming fire bit. Jesus, go for it. But that's not where Isaiah goes. Instead, his oracle that Matthew quotes doesn't go to the day of the Lord. It goes to the opposite. It says he will not quarrel or cry aloud. That's not the day of the Lord. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. That's not the day of the Lord. In fact, Isaiah says he'll be so quiet that a bent reed, he won't even break off. A smoldering wick, he will not quench. Right? The, the imagery here, apologies to Richard Sibbs, who makes us think other things than what this means. A, a bent reed, he won't break. Like you're walking through the forest fast, right? You're, you're breaking everything, right? If you're barely going through a bent reed, you're, you're not even breaking off. That better be the Lord. Just kidding. 
I mean, it would be cool, honestly. A, a bent reed, he's, he's moving so quietly, so slowly, so hiddenly. A bent reed, he will not break off. A smoldering wick, he will not, not quench. Okay, uh, it, it won't even break under his step. He's careful, and he's slow, and he's hidden in his movements. And this matches the other servant songs in Isaiah, okay, so from Isaiah 40 to 66 that you get the servant songs, these, these prophecies and oracles about God's anointed servant or son or Messiah who's going to do the day of the Lord bid and proclaim justice to the nations. Isaiah 42 matches some of the other ones. Isaiah 53, you know this one. He was oppressed and, and afflicted, yet he did not. Open his mouth. He will not quarrel or cry aloud in the streets like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. You see, like even the flavor, it, 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 it matches. Then Isaiah shows the reason, okay? The reason for uh, the servant's slow and quiet movement is because of his meekness. He's moving slowly and quietly because of his restraints, because of his patience, because of his long-suffering over evil. Matthew quotes this portion of Isaiah right after Jesus withdraws, right? Like that's the the context of the bit. And, And he orders people, don't say anything, don't make a loud noise, don't tell anyone why. Why does he put it here? Because that's I opened up Matthew 12 this week and I was like, Matthew, you make zero sense. What is wrong with you? Okay. You guys don't ever read your Bible and they're like, what are you, what is wrong with you? No, the reason he puts it here is to make clear what comes later in the apostolic writings. That in this age, right now, God is showing mercy to the wicked. We hate it. God is, is being meek towards the wicked and we hate it. God is showing restraint towards the wicked. And if you are honest, you hate it. You hate it. God is not doing the day of wrath now. That's just what's happening. First Peter, in his first coming, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So this is the point of his first coming. Like This is the banner that the apostles and the prophets put over his first coming is mercy and patience. What else do you think is happening in the cross besides the mercy and patience and kindness of God? Hebrews 9, 28, just the whole bit. So Christ, having been offered once, his first coming to bear the sins of many, right? To offer himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Christ, having been offered once to bear sin, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, not to show patience and kindness towards the wicked men through his cross, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Do do you see the difference between his first coming? What marks the first coming of the Messiah and what marks the second coming of the Messiah? Like, Do you see? They are markedly different. God is doing things in this age that he's not doing then. God will do do things then that he's not doing now. Do you get like his first coming is, is markedly different. They are not the same. And so when he comes to save those who are eagerly waiting for him, Hebrews 9, what does it look like? What images do we get from the scripture? Does it look like Isaiah 42, 1 through 4? No crying aloud. No quarreling. No one in the street hearing his voice. What, that's the first one. What's the second one look like? 
Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. God will grant relief to you who are afflicted, who are eagerly waiting for him. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you think of a more opposite scripture to Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 than that? Totally different. Isaiah 42, he's, he's not crying loud, no quarreling in the street. He's not breaking a, a, a branch or blowing out a candle. This time, it's legions of angels in flaming fire. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at by all who believe. That does not sound like Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. But you know what it does sound like? The rest of Isaiah 42. In this instance where Jesus withdraws and is quiet and says to be quiet, Matthew only quotes the first four verses of Isaiah 42. And it matches, right? He's quiet. He's being being still. He's not crying aloud. He's not quarreling. He's, He's not doing any of that bit. But then you read the rest of Isaiah 42, what marks the second coming of the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all the fills of the coastlands and their inhabitants, right? All the nations of the earth sing. Be be loud. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in, in the coastlands. Why are they singing? Why are the nations shouting other parts of Isaiah? Why are the trees clapping their hands and the rivers dancing like all the bit? Why? Verse 13, because the Lord goes out. How does he go out this time? Is he quiet? Is he unheard? Is it without quarreling? Is he not breaking uh, branches and not blowing out candles this time? No, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes for a long time. The servant says, I have held my peace for a long time, for like 6,000 years. He's held his peace for 6,000 years. I have kept still and I have restrained myself against the wickedness of man. For for a long time, I've been quiet. I've shown mercy. From the day Adam rebelled to the day that violent men killed God's beloved son, God has shown mercy. Why? Second Peter says the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness. He will do the rest of Isaiah 42. But now he is patient towards you, not wanting any to perish, but wanting all to come to repentance. His, he, he's patient. Right? If you don't learn anything about God today, learn that God is patient right now. His first coming is about him doing Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, not crying aloud in the street. But Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 won't last forever. Do you understand that? It won't last forever. He has set a day for the rest of Isaiah 42 where he will cry out like a woman in labor and gasp and pant, right? Total opposite of the beginning of Isaiah. Quiet, doesn't say a word. Now I'm about to pant and cry out. It's totally different. And in that day, he, the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the Temple, will bring justice to victory. What Isaiah quotes. And in his name, all the Gentiles, all the nations of the earth will hope. Put our trust in him as he punishes the wicked and rewards the righteous and makes all things new. Robert, would you come help us, please?
So just to close, there's, there's, there's a response to Jesus, okay? We're not, we're not uh, reading the Bible and singing songs and having sermons and doing any of this stuff on our weekend, okay? Because it's fun or whatever. It's a little fun. But you got to do something with Jesus, okay? Like he, he demands that you do something here. So to, to the unbeliever this morning, okay? And I don't, I don't know all y'all. My charge to you would be to not misinterpret the mercy of God. Okay? Don't misinterpret God's mercy as approval for living in unrighteousness. Romans 3. Do you suppose, oh man, that you will escape the judgment of God? Is that what you think? Like, is that what's going on? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So don't misinterpret what God is doing in this age and being quiet and showing mercy and kindness and restraint. God is showing mercy in the present. You're right. You you are absolutely correct. But don't misinterpret that as approval of your sin. Interpret it correctly. Interpret what God is doing now and showing mercy and kindness and patience to the wicked correctly. And interpret it, the mercy of God in Jesus in his first coming as kindness to you and the means by which you are brought to repent. That's the point. If God poured out his wrath right now, so many would inherit a lake of fire and and, and not eternal life. But he's showing mercy now. And so if, if that's you this morning, right? You're just kind of living your thing, doing whatever, misinterpreting God's mercy as approval for how you're living now. Repent, okay? And talk to, uh, if, if you're hanging out with Baptists, talk to a Baptist member. And they can tell you what it means to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and follow him faithfully until the rest of Isaiah 42 happens, okay? If you're, if you're hanging out with our church, talk to one of our elders, uh, uh, me, or if you're sitting next to a member of our church, they can tell you what it means and they can show you how to follow Jesus, okay? But don't misinterpret what God's doing now as, this is awesome, this is great. Interpret it correctly, repent, and, and follow Jesus, okay? So that's to the unbeliever. Second response is, is to the believer this morning. And it's this, trust in in God's faithfulness. God will absolutely do all of Isaiah 42. And 2 and 9, 40 through 60. Like he will do 25. He will do all of it. And your job, your, your task, the fight of faith in this age is to wait for it and be patient. So every believer... Watched, watched what happened this week and was furious. Rightfully so. But God didn't fix it. You know what I mean? The fight of faith is to believe that he will. And you have to believe that because if you don't, this age will grind you into powder. I mean, because every day, like it's just another thing. If you don't believe that God's actually going to finish the thing that he started, this age will grind you into powder. Okay? And so our job is to live in the daytime. All right? It's, it's not passivity or not doing anything or sitting on our bottoms. Like that's not what's going on. It's living 
in the daytime. If you can work to make things better in this age, work to make things better in this age. Okay? Love your family, serve your church, do good in your community. Don't sit on your bottom and say, oh, just waiting for the Lord. No. It's craziness. Okay? But believer, every time the news shows more dead kids, or we lose another person to cancer, or the world goes to war, or fill in the blank, remind yourself that God is being patient, but that he won't be forever. And when his patience ends, Isaiah 25, in that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God, we have trusted in him, and he has saved us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him, let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. He will bring it, is what I'm saying. Okay? So unbeliever, repent, because I don't want you to go to a lake of fire. Unbeliever, wait on the Lord. Be patient. Put your trust in Him that everything He did in His first coming proved true, and everything He's promised to do in His second will prove true. All right. Let me pray.